let's, uh, we're going to be in chapter 19 pretty much today. Uh, I have notes into chapter 20, but I have my doubts that we're going to get too far into there. But uh, anywho, let's stand and we'll read the first few verses of chapter 19. This is our part we didn't really get to finish last week. Remember, uh, Absalom has been defeated in battle and killed, and David in true form, David's Davidic form, uh, struggles with family ties and relations, right? So, uh, we end in chapter 18 where it says, Oh, my, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And so we see here David, who is grief-stricken over Absalom dying. And, you know, at this point, you really, you know, you can kind of halfway understand it. Absalom, he's got his problems, but he is David's son, right? Verse chapter 19, it was told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned in the morning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving over his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. And the king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came to the house of the king and said, You have today covered shame, the faces, covered with shame, the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, that you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord if you do not go, not a man will stand with you this night. This will be worse for you than the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose, took a seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, and all the people came before the king. They seated. So, just a, uh interesting passage of scripture, but I think a very profitable one. I think uh, a counterpart would obviously be uh, where Paul tells us that we grieve, but not as the world, right? And I think that's really what's going on here. So I think there, there's a, a counterpart to what's happening here. Um, uh, by the way, it's good to see uh, some of the people who back who were not here last week due to traveling and sickness and things like that. But, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, so... We didn't actually, as, as I said, we didn't get to this last week. Jeff had asked a question about Joab and, and, and was, was this, uh, wise on Joab's part and so forth. And I said, well, you know, it's in my notes. I just didn't get there. And <clears throat> let me just re, uh, do a little bit of review here. We saw that Absalom ends up under a pile of rocks after they kill him. And oh, we saw kind of an ironic justice because under the Old Testament law, rebellious not, not sons, but rebellious children. If they if they just are will not obey the parents, and, and uh, they would be stoned by the, the take up the elders of the city and stone them, and just end up in a pile of rocks, right? And so it's ironic that this is, of course, where um, Absalom ends up because he was a rebellious son, and of course rejected the Lord also. And just a reminder of, of those who uh, do not submit to the Lord, this is their end. 
Then we saw we ended here with two messengers who were called, or well, excuse me, two messengers who were sent to tell David the news. And, and we, I thought, just a great example of one messenger who was called, another messenger who was self-called, who just kept begging, "I want to go, I want to go." He was more gifted. He he knew how, even though he left later, he got to David first. Uh, but the problem is he being self-called and not not called. And I kind of compared it, I think, to those. Uh, pastors of preachers who are truly called as opposed to those who are uh, called by a preacher, by man, by their mother, self-called. They might be very gifted. And you, you think, I'll give you an example we've, we've used here lately. Andy Stanley is a gifted speaker. But is he called to the Lord? No, I don't believe he's called to the Lord at all. I think that he's doing Satan's work. Uh, he's got to, you know, he can stand up there in front of a great crowd. He, he can gather a great crowd of listeners to him, but the problem is he's not preaching the message that a preacher who is called is to preach. And the difference in these two is seen in their message. What the first one gets there, the self-called man gets there, and he tells David, we have won. He, he gave him the good news, but he didn't give him the bad news. And, and, and the, the offending message of the gospel is that somebody has died. For your sins, right? And so the second guy comes along and he says, yes, um, we have won, but it is uh, the de- Absalom is dead. And of course, this brings uh, David into uh, depression and all sorts of problems here. Um, and and ab- I think Joab is absolutely right. Um, you have completely become unfocused. You're grieving, but not in a way that makes any sense. And I think that, in a sense, David shows us the one who wants the easy, ineffective message, right? He doesn't want to hear about death. He wants good, he wants to hear something good. And, uh, and so he, uh, rejects the one, you might say, and, and listens to the other. But the problem is, is that the Christian life, the Christian message is not only that Christ had to die, but if you uh, submit to Christ in the gospel, you must die. You must die to self, right? There's a death that takes place even in ourselves. And Paul calls upon us to mortify the flesh. And, and nobody wants to hear that. Especially in this day and age where there is so much to please the flesh. that the idea of saying, you know, there are some things that I need to stop doing. There are things that I need to bring under control. For the cause of Christ. You know, back in, in my fundamentalist days, uh, you know, that the, the, the primary message, it seemed like that you always heard was, uh, you gotta have a good testimony. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. You absolutely, we should. And, and I hope that I haven't, uh, because the problem with that message in, in, in the way I was brought up was that it was, it, it, what mattered was your testimony for the world, but they didn't really speak too much to the heart. And so it was about making a good show and looking right and all that, which is, again, a half the message in a sense. We, we are to have a testimony for this world, uh, to, you know, but it is, it has to be for the right motives because we love the Lord. And, and both of those things go hand in hand. I hope that I haven't ever come across as, uh, not of downplaying then our, our need in, in a focal thing that I want to 
look like a follower of Christ. I want to portray something to this lost world that they need to see, not just in my presentation of the gospel, but that I live something that backs that up and, and, and that's important. But it must be because we love the Lord. And if we love the Lord, and we love the Lord as we should, He has first place in our life, we will be willing to mortify this flesh, to cut off the flesh, as, as Paul says, to, to say no to it. Right? And that's going to be pain. It's, it's hard work. It's saying no to self. It's discipline. And, and, and it's, it's about, of course, the, the problem is today, instead of saying, you know, there are certain passions, my flesh likes to do things that is contrary to God's will and that displays a bad testimony to this world and to the church. But today, we're being told that when my passion, when my body has a passion, I am to worship that. I am to celebrate that and to condemn anyone who won't celebrate that, right? So instead of mortifying the flesh, you know, the Bible assumes that you're going to be born with urges and passions and loves that are contrary to God's will for us, right? It's what sin has brought upon us. But the message today is Satan, see how wise he is. Um, the message today is, no, the way you are born, God wants you to embrace that. And, and so what do you have to do? Well, you have to completely deny sin because sin is contrary to that. So there can be no sin because whatever I want is good. And, and, and so you can say, well, you get a little off topic. Well, right, but it, it's all, it all starts with a, 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 a understanding of why I'm here, my purpose and, and my relationship with the Lord. And, and you see here, David is, uh, and what's been David's big Weakness in his whole life. It's his family and primarily his children. And he, he's lost focus. He's the king. He has been called the king over God's kingdom at that point, right? God, the kingdom of Israel. He's the king over God's people on earth. And he has ignored them. He, and, and this is at the beginning of chapter 19, he's ignoring them and he's focused only on his loss. See, he's lost his way in a sense. And uh, so he's not, he's not willing to say no to himself. He's not willing to say, you know what? Grieving for my son is understandable. Even, even though, of course, Absalom wanted to kill him. Absalom was, is a, was a horrendous person. And yet, he's, he's putting that, and Job is absolutely right in saying, look at you, you completely forgot what's going on here. You're the king. And these people have died for you in some cases. They put their life on the line. And you're acting like, and I think he's right, that if Absalom was alive, the, the one who's trying to kill you and ousted you out of Jerusalem, you'd be happier than whether if, if you if your uh, armies had all died. And so he said, you know, think about what's going on. Where, where is your first love? And if, if Christ is your first love, then I am willing to say no to my grief, to 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 my feelings to my emotions to those things or at least bring them under control right for the cause of christ and so in chapter 19 we see david's inordinate affection for his son jesus taught that it's quite possible to love people more than uh uh, the lord right or to, to love them so much that you it interferes with your service 
to him. Um, and, and this is, I think, the case with David. He has responsibilities for the living. And, and that's where grieving as a Christian, we, there's nothing wrong with grief, of course, to miss somebody, uh, a loved one, uh, yeah, of course. But there's a sense where that person's gone. And that, while it might not, there's a, you know, it'd never be the same, that, that loss is, is, is a loss forever, you still have responsibilities as a Christian, as a, as a human being, as God has given you life. God has ended that person's life, their responsibilities are over, but yours is not, just because you're left. And so it, it really gives you a whole nother level, a whole nother sphere of, of service that I now can become example. It goes back to our testimony that should be one of the motivating factors in our lives. I now have a responsibility to be an example to the church, especially in the world, of someone who loves Christ more than I love my spouse who just died or my child that just died. And you say, well, Pastor, it's easy to say. Well, I know it's easy to say, but it's also the truth. And uh, it requires a love for the Lord. It requires self-discipline. It requires a struggle. You know, it's a struggle to get up in the morning, right? And we see people who, because of depression of one for one reason or another, they they they, they struggle to get out of bed in the morning right? to function. And it's not psychological garbage that it's because they don't have a motivation to do so because either they don't love the Lord enough, they're not strong enough in their faith, or they don't know the Lord at all, perhaps. But the issue is our sin. It's our love for self that we've got to keep mortifying, right? Again, again, these are hard words, but that's that's the truth. Of the matter, and, and and I hope you don't take that as a just you know hard, difficult thing. As our love for Christ grows, these things become our joy and our passion. And, and when we struggle with our grief or, or in sin and things like that, but it's 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 a delight to be able to overcome those things in the Lord. Let's pray that God would give us the strength to be able to be a good testimony for others. And uh, and so David's whole problem has always been his doting upon his children. It's clearly seen here where he would sooner have seen his armies defeated and Absalom alive. It would, it would appear certainly, you know, I don't think Joab's just pulling this up out of the air. It's what people see. Probably he's hearing people say that. David, who, remember, so easily... I put to death anybody who would raise their hand up against the Lord's anointed, right? He's, he's done it what, three or four times already. Uh, and his son did the same thing. Now everything's different. Now, now I, I'm not, no, no thoughts of putting him to death, of punishing him for what he's done. He's sad. Well, he wasn't sad when he killed these other men's sons when they lifted their hand up against God's anointed. I'm not saying what he did was wrong. It is what it is. 
But you see here an inconsistency. My son's done it, but that, but, but we're not going to treat him the same as we treated others. And Joab and Israel see that, and others will see that. And so we're not saying that um, David shouldn't have grieved over Absalom's death, but not to grieve in a way that makes no sense. It, it, it makes no sense physically in David's case, because, again, he, he's got an army. He's got it's, it's the whole political problems with that. But as Christians, we don't want to grieve in a way that makes no sense spiritually. If we say that our home is in heaven, that our reward is in heaven, that this life is just, uh, as you know, Luther said, this is, I'm just passing through, this world is not my home. And then we grieve or we react, uh, you know, in our loves and in our emotions and in the things that we, we, we seem to be satisfied with, as if this world is my home. Well, then, what are people to think? What are we to think? What, what is the world to think? And so, you know, David has forgotten that he's the king of God's kingdom, of God's army. That this is, this, that takes precedent. And, and the reason we as Christians can grieve, uh, in, in the Lord that way and not as the world done, does is because nothing in this life, it, again, we're, we're repeating biblical truths because that's the, it is the, the truth that, that's what Jesus meant when he said the truth will set you free. Understanding what in the world is going on in, in, in this world and the universe and my life and my head and my brain and heart is freeing because I, I now know how to grapple with it according to God's word. And David's problem is, or uh, uh, the, the reason we can not grieve as the world does is because we know, because the Bible teaches us, that nothing happens in this world that hinders God's kingdom moving forward and him glorifying himself in every situation because we know that it's it, he's the one directing all this as we've talked about you know in second uh, Samuel over the last couple of weeks we've talked about the sovereignty of God in uh, some of this stuff and so knowing that the death of my loved one or the the, the grieving circumstances that have caused me so much pain is working together for my good, Again, Romans eight twenty eight is freeing. It allows me to temper my reaction, temper my anger, temper my depression, temper whatever it is I'm struggling with. Uh, you know, in that sense. So there's always we can always rejoice even among grief and pain and suffering and persecution and so forth. That's why Jesus said that. And so that's David's problem. He mourns his son. But clearly he cares little about the kingdom of God. He, he's crossed a line where he, he's, he's let suffering stop him from serving others. His pain takes precedent over his responsibility. And, and this, I understand that. I, and I've been guilty of that. I, I imagine each one of us have to some degree. We've let our little world kind of implode in our thinking and our hearts and it is difficult to some some days you know just to be kind of frank about it uh, to give a crap about what's going on around the world. And yet it's a, it's just a sin. It, it's selfishness, and that's what we struggle with. And that's okay. I mean, it's that's part of the Christian life to struggle with that. But I hope there is a struggle. 
I hope there's a desire to mortify those feelings of when self and the love of self and the pleasures of the flesh begin to take precedent over uh, these other things. And so Joab chides him. Joab, of course, with all his faults, and there are many, right? He is, uh, on one hand, a, all real, I think Job, all he really cares about is Joab, even though he's loyal to David, loyal to Israel on, uh, as a warrior and all that, he's going to eventually pay for his selfishness once David's dead. But he's the consummate warrior. You know, because I think if you've been in the military, I'm assuming this, I haven't been there, but especially if you've been in battle and, uh, you know, let's say, say you have a leader, a general, and his son gets killed in a battle, and he falls apart, even though you've won the war, and, and, and there should be a time of celebration to some degree, and he he's locked off somewhere. He's he's not helping the men. He's not encouraging the men and celebrating with the men, uh, thanking the men or anything like that. He's, he's quit being a leader. Now he's just consumed with his, his own problems, right? And that's kind of what's going on here. And Job says, wait just a minute. You're, you're fixing to lose the kingdom. These guys are going to turn on you. And interestingly enough, that's kind of what happens in chapter 20. Maybe not for the, for this, for David, because David kind of snaps out of this. And so I don't think this is the reason, but it does end up happening for other reasons. And, uh, so what David has done is, and again, well, we don't, we're, we're kind of assuming speculated to some degree what's going on in David's heart, but again, you, the way you react and, and interact with other people says a lot about what's going on in your heart, what kind of person you are, right? What you think about the Lord, how, how you speak to each other, if we speak to each other in grace and in love, and if we, we want to edify and, and be a good example and, and exercise some of the gifts that we're going to talk about in second service, that is you're saying something about what Christ means to you, right? And when you don't interact with God's people in, in that kind of way, it also says something. And, and David here has forgotten, for a while anyway, that he's got he's got a part to play in the redemptive history of uh, of the world as uh, as the king of God's people. He's forgot that he is a slave to the Lord and he has become the master of his life. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because he has decided what's important. And he has put his interest over the interest of the nation. And as a king, and really, you know, you don't have to be a king for this to happen. You can be the father, the husband, or the leader of the home. And if, if nothing is worse than you, when you see a man here in that position who his interest takes the uh, takes priority over the, the needs of his family, right? right? Uh, many lot families have been destroyed by that, and of course it can happen with the mother and the wife. It can happen with anybody when we become we and kind of our our world becomes centered around ourselves. So he's forgotten that the Lord is he's here for the Lord. He's so different than the rest of us. I knew a young mother in New York. Uh, she was in the church. And uh, she lost two babies at childbirth. One was dead before she was born. She knew it was going to be born dead. I died in the womb, strangled with her umbilical cord. 
The other one was deformed, didn't have, um, from its waist down, it is this, uh, like, like a, I don't know, a fish. It was just like no legs that were just fused together. And, uh, so she knew that baby was going to die soon after it was born, if it was alive at all. And it was. I was there. I held that baby for a while. It lasted about a, a, an hour or so before it passed away. And, uh, you know, you, you just can't, until you go through something like that, you can hardly relate, right? It, it, what, what could be worse in some ways, physically speaking, emotionally speaking? Uh, her problem was, though, we had a, a visiting speaker, and he, one of the things he emphasized in the little conference we're having like we do here, and one of the, maybe I even have him come speak for sometime, uh, I still am good friends with him. But the, 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 one of the things he emphasized over the weekend was that we are, the, 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 the earth is, is God's drama, human history is God's drama of redemption. You've never heard this before, it's not unique with them. And that God, we are actors, and we're brought on the stage to do our scene, and then we pass away, and someone comes along, and, and, and so we're to do our part. We're, we're here for a reason, and that's that's a wonderful thing to to remember, to know that I, there's a purpose in my life that's greater than myself. It's not all about me. It's not all about my family. It's about the Lord. It's about what He's doing, and and someday we'll have eternal reward. For doing, playing our part here on earth as God directs us, right? And I remember saying, cause this was, uh, right around the time of, of one of these babies dying. And, and I remember her saying in a conversation about this idea of being an actor on the stage that, uh, she didn't like that. She didn't want to think of herself as just an actor on the stage. She wanted life to, to go well for her. And, <laughs> And, and she said, she said a number of things, and I, I, I really don't have, never have had any strong confidence that she was a believer to start with. But, it, but she was saying that in context of her children. In other words, she said, I don't. In other words, the idea that well, the Lord has, and she has at least three, if not four, children now, so she does have children. But the idea that. For you, for right now, you're going to lose two children, and that's God's will for you, and that's the part He's given you to play, uh, to, to, for you to serve Him. She, that's what she said. I don't, that's not a comfort to me. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> and it was, was, was kind of, you know, especially someone who, she sat out of your ministry for several years, and, but she was young, and well, she got issues, but, it was difficult to listen to because, you know, I, I, again, I understand not wanting to lose two children, good grief, but to say that I'm, I will not be content with the Lord if, if this is what he's going to make me do. If I, I got to go through that. Now you've crossed a line. That's kind of what David has done here. Maybe not to put too much, you know, over what he's saying here, but that's kind of what Joe, Joab's chided him for. It says, uh, wait just a minute. You're, you're grieving like the world. Uh, think about there's other things, other responsibilities that you have. And that's what Joab's telling him, right? This wasn't necessarily that David had to go out and throw a victory celebration and dance and laugh and carry on with his men, but acknowledge what they've, they've done, right? Be, be the king. And, and that's what it says here at the end of our, what we just read here. Remember, the 
king arose and he took his seat at the gate and the people came before him. That, basically, he's doing his kingly duties. That's what, that's what, that's, that was what Absalom was doing and telling everybody that David wouldn't do, right? He wouldn't hear, he wouldn't be king. He wouldn't, he didn't care anything about him. And that's what Joab is saying. You're given the impression you don't care anything about them. And, and David, and, and, and to David's credit, right? The, if David's got a strong suit, especially in his later life, it's that he listens to rebuke. And he does the right thing. He repents and he, he starts doing what's right. And you know, with everything I've said today so far, right? If we would just get that, I think it would be possible. For us to be able to be rebuked, for someone just to say, look, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea. Or, or you know, like David, the, the prophet Nathan, uh, that's wrong. You, you're doing something wrong here. And David said, you know, you're right. It wasn't arguing. What, it wasn't, David never justifies himself. He stops doing what's wrong and starts doing what's right, you know. And so, I, you know, for all the bad examples David sometimes gets, I think that's just a great one. Because we're all going to do things like David. Hopefully not some of the things we've seen David do. But we're all going to react and do some things like David. We've all put family first, perhaps. Which, again, putting family first is more or less putting yourself first in, in one way or another. We're, we, we've done it. I've done it. I'm going to do it in, in the future. But are we willing to, when the Lord shows us, convicts us, brings conviction in one way or another, are we willing to say, you know what? Yep, that's what I have been doing. Ask him to confess it. Ask him, you know, repent of that. Ask him to to give us victory over that. To to, and again, not sometimes we gotta be careful here. Not just say, "Well, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, for that sin, and and forgive me, and then go our way." But the, there's a void there. There's a reason why we do those things, and say, "Lord, to fill me with the love of Christ." Fill me with love for one another, for your people, for the, for the lost souls around me, so that I don't do it again. Because if we don't know what we're supposed to replace that selfishness with and that sin with, well, I don't know how much victory we're going to have over it. When we don't treat people, we don't treat our spouse in a loving way. I suppose well, because I love myself too much. It's not because there's anything wrong with loving my spouse. I mean, some spouses are maybe difficult to love. I'll grant you that. But I mean, most of it, I don't think that's really an issue, right? The, the problem is ourselves. So we ask God to forgive me, but recognize why you do what you do and, and remind yourself about that and ask God to help you fill it with what it should be there. So having seen David's failure, there is more here probably than just inordinate affection. In other words, it's just not just that he loves Absalom so much. That's certainly true. But I think there's also one of the reasons why David is, is probably grieving Absalom is because at the end of the day, David knows that he's lost. This is his third son that he's lost in death, right? He lost his baby with Bathsheba. He lost... Um, Get his name off hand, the one that Absalom killed, right, for raping Tamar. Amnon. Amnon, Amnon, right. And, and now Absalom. And, uh, he knows to some degree it's his fault. Or he's, he bears some responsibility because of his sin. And so I, you know, I, I, what, 
I, I think that that's probably a legitimate uh, reason. Not, I say legitimate. Uh, I think that's a, a cause, not, not that he's right to do what he's being corrected about here, but it makes it worse, right? In other words, it's bad enough that Absalom died, his son died, but to know that in, in this sense, God has made it very, very plain that these troubles in your family are going to be a result of your sin with Bathsheba. Every time something like this happens, and again, it's happened often with David, it's just another pang of guilt, knowing that he bears some responsibility. And, uh, in fact, you know, we read chapter 18, verse 33, where he says, Oh, that I die instead of you. Why would he say that? Well, I mean, as a father, you kind of understand that. You, you don't want to see your child, child die before you do. You, you give your life to your child, Lord willing. But I, again, I think there's more to it than that. I think David realizes that, that well, Absalom, my children trail like this because I'm, I've done wrong. Of course, he's done wrong. He's not been a good father. You know, discipline, as we've talked about before, too. So that's one more thing. And so, uh, you know, it reminds me, again, of 2 Samuel 12, 13, where David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. So the, the, the great thing about being a, a believer is that we know our sins are forgiven, that we won't suffer for them. In the next life that Christ has bore the true suffering of sin and death. But, albeit, because of this deed, thou hast been given great attention to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to thee shall surely die. There's a sense in which I think Israel knows about this probably. In other words, at some point, some people put it, put it together. And the Lord's going to say, you know what? I'm going to cause this child to die just as a reminder. It doesn't always happen. But it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. The Lord doesn't kill all of us every time we lie, even to the Holy Spirit, right? Or we'd all be dead. Uh, but it's a warning. It's a reminder uh, that the Lord takes us how we interact with others and are we truthful? Seriously. And so David lost his child just as a warning that, that telling people, the Lord, I've seen this. I'm taking care of this. Uh, no one gets away with anything. And, and we need to hear that too, right? I need, I need to be reminded that no one's getting away with anything. The Lord's going to take care of that. And I don't, it's not up to me it's always to have to point things out or to deal with that. It, it, you know, we, we just let things go sometimes. Um, and under certain conditions, and knowing that the Lord will take care of it. He's already witnessed the death of a set of two other sons. But the last thing we want to point out, it might, it might be all I do, and that will get us to the end of uh, last week's message, and then maybe we can start next week. Uh, it's not like we're going to do today in First Corinthians, finally start on last week's message. But the last thing I want to point out was that... Um, Something we all can relate to what David's going through here, right? We've done, perhaps you've done something in your life that you, 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 since then you, you've become a believer. Or maybe you were saved and you did it, right? And, and, and uh, but it's still, the guilt is still there. The pain is still there. The consequences are still there. 
yes, you, maybe they say, you, you, maybe you had a child out of wedlock, for instance, or, you know, just something that happens. And, 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 and so you get, and you got saved, and, you know, you, later on, and, and you, you realize that that sin is like all your sins are forgiven in the Lord. He's taking the punishment for that. But you've got this constant reminder. Or, or you know, maybe maybe even a better example would be, you know, you were unfaithful before you got married. Or you, you know, had premarital sex. I'm just trying to use an example. And, and I know that I have some good friends that I know like that who, when they, they met before they were uh, saved and they did what lots of people do, and uh, they got saved, and and it was always a every once in a while. I mean, I, they was like my best friend. They were Santa and I best friends in some case, in some ways. And every once in a while, it would kind of come up the fact that they were together before they got married, and with other people, and you know, things a lot of unsaved people have to go through, unfortunately. It was always there, and, and they loved the Lord. They were they're Christians to this day. Still, keep, still keep up with him, and, and talk some, and, and so forth, and, and all that. But it was just always there. And you know, and, and my point then is that you know, if there's, it's one thing to know that your sins are forgiven, and, and it clears the conscience, but. You, you might have, sin carries consequences. And, you know, that's part of life. And, and, and so we've got to be able to give that to the Lord and to, to work past it, to work through it. Uh, but don't, it's, it's going to be part, perhaps, of the life that you have to live. But the, the, the way you deal with it, first and foremost, is that I know that the Lord has forgiven me of this sin. And I will bear the responsibility and and, and and whatever that brings with it, but I'm I'm not gonna let myself be ruined by it, right? I mean, I'm, the Lord has forgiven me. That's why he, the Lord had this that's why the Lord came, because we all sin. We all we all do this. But I wonder if it reminds us too that you know, maybe as Christians we think that, well, once I get saved, I shouldn't have any more guilt in my life. Well, no, I think that if you've done things wrong, that there's there's some guilt there, maybe some shame. But you just, again, that's what I've been saying. You just, you're not, you're always going to carry with you to the grave. But the promise is, is that in Revelation, it tells us that He shall wipe away every tear. And I, and I don't think that's just saying that, well, there'll be no more pain and suffering. You know, that's certainly true. But at that point, the day is coming when everything done in the past will be washed away. All the, 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 the tears at night, the guilt, the shame, the, the things that we're going to have to carry with us to the grave, perhaps. Um, it's going to be gone at that point. It might not always be gone in this life, but it'll be gone someday. It'll it'll be it won't be in our memory, and it won't cause us any more pain. So I think at least we we have that hope. Well, David's shown us what a suffering king. You know, he's a suffering king. It, it, he he just got rejected by his people. Uh, next week we'll see if we brought back into Jerusalem. But that was what we're supposed to look at today, David's. 
uh, coming back into Jerusalem. Right? Um, and then it's, but but you say, well, finally, uh, David's got past all the suffering. No, it just it just starts right over again, just different things, right? That's what that's what life is. It just reminds us that um, that's part of life, and we don't ever get out of that until the day the Lord comes and He wipes away every tear. Um, someday we'll remember sin no more, but uh, while there'll be pain in David's life, and we'll deal with that as we get to it, let's remember too that this suffering king, once he suffered, it looked, he looked defeated for a short time. All this probably, David's probably only out of the city for a matter of weeks, maybe a, a month or two, three, not very long, and he's coming back. Now he's coming back, and he's coming back in glory, and we're going to see, just like Christ, who suffered for a while at his first advent, he, he's gone. What the Bible always says, is, is this a really a short time, right? Even in, in, in Paul's day, you know, the Lord's coming back. It's going to be a short thing, because in God's timing, 2,000 years doesn't mean anything. He's coming back. And he's coming back in uh, to find out that uh, in great glory that all of those who uh, enemies who are against him have been defeated. And so David will, will show us some things about the Lord's return, I believe, uh, and get to chapter 20 and how he deals with those who were faithful to him and those who were not. And there's some more parallels. We've, we've tried to show a lot of parallels here between David as he uh, had to flee the city and then Alice is coming back. And Jesus, as he was rejected of men, carried uh, and crucified, but he arose again in glory. Right? So we'll deal with some of those things going on next week. Any, any questions? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love to us and for or this the, the glories of Christ and his work for us, the, the, the uh, position that we have now in Christ Jesus with, with forgiven sin, with an understanding, Lord, what, just how wonderful it is to have light, to not stumble around in darkness anymore. And in order to hope that would encourage us to continue to grow in our understanding of Christ and the gospel and our position in Him. Because as we grow in our understanding of these things, we're able to more effectively serve you and to just be content with whatever you bring our way. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.